Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sabbath to you all. We're once again separated by this COVID-19 pandemic. The governor of Arkansas has given churches uh, the green light uh, to have services, but the restrictions are quite strict right now, and uh, it just doesn't really fit us. So I hope that we can have services at least within two weeks. What I'd like to talk to you about today is the Great Tribulation. The Bible prophesies not only of the beginning of time with the creation of the earth and of Adam and Eve, but also the end of human history. It has already been written. Now, this coronavirus, uh, when we read about the plagues of the Bible and the, during the Great Tribulation, this coronavirus, as we see it right now, doesn't really uh, compare in severity or in death toll. But it has effectively shut down the entire world. There are 33 million Americans who have lost their job uh, due to this pandemic. And that's more people out of work than any time since the Great Depression. So it's really taking its toll upon our economy. And it's not over. We don't really know if there's going to be a second wave or not. We don't know how long this is going to last. It seems like every day we get different news. That it seems that we get good news one day and it seems like we get the bad news the next day. So I don't really know. I mean, it looked like maybe we would have uh, less than 50,000 people who would die. And now we're seeing in the mid-70,000s here in the United States alone and about uh, 300,000 uh, worldwide. And some projections are even projecting the United States to to have as many as 150 or 160,000 people die uh, this year before this is over. Now, speaking of the Great Tribulation, the Great Tribulation will last three and one-half years, uh, 42 months of hell on earth. There was a type of this during World War II with the Jewish Holocaust, Auschwitz, which was one of the concentration camps that uh, exterminated many of the Jews, 6 million Jews, 11 million uh, people exterminated by Nazi Germany during World War II. But Auschwitz was operating uh, from September of 1941 until almost February of 1945. So that's three and one half years. So that's a type. And the tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, I want us to begin with Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus prophesied of this great time of trouble. He had just pronounced the woes, the great uh, woes, uh, the indictments to the Jewish leaders uh, in chapter 23. At the end of chapter 23, he tells them that all the righteous blood, beginning with the blood of Abel that has been spilled on the earth, that they're responsible for because 
It's the same spirit that was working in Cain that was working in the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They wanted to kill Jesus. It was the spirit of Antichrist. It was the spirit of the devil. You know, we find in, in 1 John, uh, I think it's chapter 3, where Cain was of the evil one. You know, now he wasn't born of the evil one in the beginning. When he had the thought to kill his brother Abel, God went to him and pleaded with him and told him, if, you know, if, why are you in such despair? If you will do good, I will raise you up. But he didn't. Now, in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said as he left the temple, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. And that's been the history of man. Man has been largely unwilling to come to God. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. That's a temple. And within uh, 50, well, it was about 40, about 30, about 37 years from this point, the temple was surrounded. The Jerusalem was surrounded and the temple was destroyed by the Romans. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> Jerusalem to this day does not say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not as referring to Jesus. They believe that the Messiah is yet to come. But they still despise Jesus. They still blaspheme the name of Jesus to this very day. Now in Matthew chapter 24, notice that Jesus came out of the temple and he was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you see these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So they were talking about how beautiful the temple was, these large stones and, uh, and how magnificent Herod's temp temple was. And Jesus said, listen, uh, have you not been listening to what I said to the religious leaders? I'm saying that their house is to be left desolate. It's coming down. There won't be a stone left upon another. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, <clears throat> the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said, and this he began his prophetic uh, Olivet prophecy. See to it that no one misleads you. That's the first thing Jesus said. For great deception would be coming, and it would happen during the time of the apostles. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Now, this is not saying that many would come and say, I'm Yeshua or I'm Jesus. It's saying that many would come in my name. They will come in the name of Christ. They will come in the name of Jesus, of Yeshua. Yet they will not come with the teachings that he taught. 
and they will deceive many. And as it is today, we have so many different beliefs, different beliefs on what the gospel message is, different beliefs on what day of worship we should, we should uh, assemble on. Uh, we assemble on the Sabbath day, but most of the Christian world has forsaken the fourth commandment and now assembles on the first day of the week. And they don't even keep one day holy. I mean, for us Sabbath keepers, we keep the Sabbath holy. We don't do any work. We don't do any of our own pleasure on the Sabbath. We don't go play sports. We don't go to movies on Friday night or Saturday. Uh, we don't watch sports events. We, we, we're not involved in, in uh, playing games and things like that on the Sabbath. We try to keep the Sabbath holy because that's what the commandment says, to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, Jesus said it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. But we find in Isaiah 58 that we do not seek our own pleasure. We're not to seek our own pleasure. And that if we will refrain from seeking our own pleasure on God's holy day. In other words, we don't seek our own pleasure. We seek God's pleasure. We assemble before the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ, on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, the appointed day of rest and the appointed day of uh, a sacred assembly. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. And that's been going on ever since Jesus spoke this. See to it that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquake, earthquakes. But all these things are the beginning of birth pains. And I think we, we know that we're living in a time like no other time in history. Now, Daniel prophesied of the end time as being a time when knowledge and transportation would vastly be increased. And that has happened. Uh, we have gone to the moon. There are plans to send, uh, you know, uh, spaceships to Mars. Uh, we circle, you know, you can take a jet airplane and go anywhere in the world. Um, we have computers. Most of us have smartphones where we have the Internet right there in our pocket or in our purse. And we can research anything at any time. And so knowledge and transportation has vastly increased since the time of Daniel, or even since the time of Jesus. Even in the last 100 years, it's vastly increased. Man has the ability now to destroy the entire world, many times over. And that has never been the case in history. And now, you know, in times past, there could be a, a disease that would break out. Uh, like what we have here with this COVID-19 virus. A disease could break out, Ebola could break out, but it would be in a localized area because people did not get on airplanes and, and take it to other parts of the world. Uh, for this COVID-19 virus that began in Wuhan, China, there was 10,000 Chinese that were coming into the United States uh, through airports every single day. And since the Chinese government did not uh, alert us in time, there were many Chinese that came over here, some, some of them carrying this virus and transmitting it to other people. 
And that's why we, we see that New York City, um, also people from Europe coming that were, were infected, New York City being hit, you know, we're uh, about a third of all the deaths in the United States have taken place in New York City because there's so many people that visit there. So there will be the beginning of birth pains. Now notice then, Jesus begins to say what's going to happen to those who follow him. And we need to understand this and be prepared for it, to accept it, that it is going to happen. It will happen. There is no pre-tribulation rapture where people are going to be taken away and hid away somewhere in heaven you know, from this. Now, the Bible does talk about a, those who are accounted worthy in uh, Luke chapter 21, that they will be allowed to escape these things. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 says that the woman being the church will be taken to her place for a time, times, and half a time. That's 42 months, three and a half years uh, during the time of the tribulation to be protected from the serpent. That will be a small group. I don't know how, how many people that will be. I don't know where it will be. Uh, God will do that. And but our job today is to make sure that we are counted worthy, that we are ready, uh, that we are faithful, that we are about our Father's business, and we're doing the work of God, and not just doing our own work. You know, we can our our own work is going to be tested by fire, and it's going to burn up. God's work will be tested by fire fire, yet it will remain. So we have to be about God's work during this time. We are told to be ready. Jesus told us to be ready. You don't know the hour and you don't know the day, but you do know the general time that is going, that, that his return will be. And it's going to be very difficult to be faithful during this time of great tribulation. Many Christians will be martyred during this time. And a few who are already been tested and accounted worthy will be placed in a special place of safety, it says, in the wilderness. And the devil will go after that group of people we find in Revelation chapter 12. But the earth will open up and swallow up the flood. I don't know if the flood's really water or if the flood is an army that, that the Antichrist sends, but whatever it happens to be, those people will be protected and they will be sealed in that place and the devil will not be able to go there. Antichrist will not be able to send any troops there. They will be per divinely protected. And I like to call that place uh, a place of final training where after the tribulation, then our people will be ready will be faithful. We will not be under the influence of any demonic spirits or any or the devil himself. And we will come out of that after the great tribulation and we will rule the nations with Jesus Christ. So it says here in verse 9, then they will deliver you. This is talking to Jesus is referring to his followers. They will deliver you to tribulation. And the word tribulation is, means a time of great trouble, a time of pressing, like pressing the oil out of olives or the juice out of grapes. Great pressure. And they will kill you. And we don't know how many of them. The Bible will tell us, and we'll see today, uh, so many people that will be killed during the great tribulation. 
We have 8 billion people on the earth today. And it's impossible to know uh, by the prophecies exactly how many people will be killed. But there will probably be uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 out of those 8 billion who will die. The Bible actually gives us figures of uh, half of the population of the earth dying. We will see in the scriptures in Revelation that every single living creature in the seas and all the oceans will die. And all the rivers and all the lakes will be as blood during this great time. There will be hailstones that will fall on cities and earthquakes that will take place that the Bible says are 100 pounds each. Think about that. A 100-pound hailstone just falling from the earth. All these hailstones, they would just literally disintegrate our church building here in just an instant. Uh, there would be no building, really, that would be safe from such uh, a hailstorm as that. And we don't, the Bible, and the Bible doesn't tell us how many people will die during that time by the earthquakes and the hailstones. You know, when you think about the number of people who will die, now listen to me, consider this, because it is a staggering. We had 17 million die in World War I. We had about 73 million, uh, two-thirds of those, almost 50 million of those were civilians in World War II. And we've had calculated about 70 million Christians who have been martyred since Christianity began on the day of Pentecost in 31 AD. But think about that. 17 million dying in World War I, the great war to end all wars. It didn't end all wars. Within 30 years, it was a greater war, World War II. And World War II, there was almost 50 million civilians killed because of just carpet bombing and systematically murdering them like the Nazis did 11 million uh, handicapped people, Polish people, uh, people that they thought were inferior, and 6 million of them being Jews just because they were Jews. On that 73 million, as far as we could tell, died in World War II. But this war, this time of trouble, this three and one half years, there will be that many people dying a day, each day. It's staggering when you think about how many people will die. I mean, we're, we're talking about probably five million people dying every day, maybe more than that. It's hard to figure. But when you put seven billion, think about it, Seven billion people dying in three and one half years, 42 months. Now, you can set dominoes. You know how you can set dominoes up and you can start the first one and it, it causes all the others to fall? You could set those dominoes up. Seven billion dominoes will go around the earth twice, the circumference of the earth. Think about that. It will go around the circumference of the earth twice. It's almost 60,000 miles long. 
If you were to try to count to 7 billion, you know how long it would take you? If you, if you could just start counting, one, two, three, four, five, six, and count to 700 billion, it would take you almost 200 years. You can't live long enough to count to 7 billion. You can't live long enough to count to 3 billion. You see? It, you'd be over 100 years old, or about that, trying to count to 3 billion. It's staggering when you think about the numbers. I mean, it's hard to put it in perspective. But just try to think of that. If you could count the number of dead bodies that's going to die during the Great Tribulation in 42 months, it would take you 200 years to do it. This is a time of trouble like no other time in history. And we probably, brethren, we are probably that generation that has been brought into this world planned by God for a time such as this, like no other time in history, to face off not only with the Antichrist, but with the devil himself who will possess him. He will rule the world. He will make war with the saints of God. He will shatter the power of the saints of God. Many of us will be martyred. The blood of the martyred saints will cry out from the altar of God in heaven, crying, how long, how long, O Lord, will you not avenge us? And the Lord will say, just a little while longer, until the rest of your brethren are martyred. Now, we saw what martyrdom looked like when ISIS went through the Middle East, just killing Christians, beheading Christians, and putting... The, the, we live in a time when we can see these things online. We see what's happening in real time online. It can no longer be hidden. And we saw how horrific that was. And we saw how faithful many of those Christians were. But they would not renounce the name of Jesus. They would not bow the knee to Allah. But they stood strong and they allowed their own children to be killed in front of themselves and then themselves to be killed. There were many who were crucified cruelly. Uh, the images are burned into my mind. I forced myself to look at these things. I don't like to look at them either, but I forced myself to look at them because I, those are, that's my brothers and sisters. For all I know, I know some of them are. They're faithful. They gave their life for what they believed and they, they claim to believe in Jesus, so I'm not going to judge them. And I don't really care whether they were Sabbath keepers or Holy Day keepers or Sunday keepers and Christmas keepers. I don't really care because I believe that they, they face the ultimate test. And that is the death of their own children and a cruel, gruesome death for themselves. And they chose the Christ that they understood. And so I have great respect for them. Now, 
They will deliver you up to tribulation and they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the word. The word of God is going to be hated. The Antichrist is going to make war with the saints. And at that time, many will stumble. Many will fall away. And they will betray one another. And they will hate one another. And sadly, that happens. Uh, we saw that happen when ISIS, again, when they went through the Middle East, that there were those who bowed the knee to Allah, who renounced Jesus Christ, and then who betrayed their brothers and sisters or those who they had, you know, attended services with, those who they, they sang praises to the sweet name of Jesus. Uh, they betrayed them and caused them to be put to death. That's going to happen. That just happens. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And you know, false prophets, what makes a false prophet appealing is a, a false prophet almost always in Scripture prophesies what a wicked person wants to hear. A wicked king. <laughs> would seek out a prophet that would tell him something good. He didn't want to hear that judgment was coming on him. He didn't want to hear that he's going to lose in battle or that his kingdom will not prosper. He wanted to hear that his kingdom would, would prosper, that the God that he worshiped would bless him and take care of him. And that's what you see a lot today. You see so many ministers today that preach only good things. They preach only uh things that people want to hear. And Paul prophesied of that. He, he told young Timothy, he said, you know, preach the word. Be ready. Reprove, rebuke with all long suffering because there's a time coming when brethren will not endure sound doctrine and they will seek out those who will tickle their ears, who will tell them what they want to hear. Easy things not the hard things. But you know, if you don't, if you're, if you don't ever hear the difficult things, you will not be prepared for them when they come. You have to be prepared, amen? It's those trying times that you know are coming that causes you to buffet yourself, to bring yourself into submission to God and to obey Him faithfully. And also knowing that these things are coming, when they do come upon us, we don't think it's some foreign thing. As if some, you know, any trouble that comes upon us must come from the devil. Well, that's not true, you know. I mean, God tests and disciplines every child that he loves. He does that in order to prepare us, amen? So many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Now we find in 1 John uh, chapter 2, we find it also in 1 John chapter 5, we find in 2 John, there early in that letter, it only has one chapter. But in all those places, it says that if you love 
God, keeping the commandments is demonstrating a love from God. Now, Jesus said on that last Passover, as we find in John chapter 13 through chapter 17, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who loves me will keep my commandments and I will be with him and my father will be disclosed to him. If you want to abide in me, keep my commandments. He who keeps my commandments abides in me. So keeping the commandments is a demonstration of the love of God. Keeping the commandments is loving God. Uh, Jesus uh, identified them as uh, two great principles, love toward God and love toward your fellow man. He said all the commandments and the law can be summed up in two great principles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he gave the church his followers, a new commandment. And he said, this one commandment I leave with you that you have not received, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's a difficult one. That's a very difficult one. Because Jesus, you know, he forgives seven times 70 and even beyond that. He forgives infinity as long as we repent. Uh, you know, we sometimes we may go before God in prayer and we may say, Lord, I'm so sorry I said that. I'm so sorry I did that. I'm so th sorry that I entertained a, a particular thought or whatever. Uh, I will never do it again. And then you do it again. You see, we just have to come before Lord and say, look, I'm a wretched man. Just like the Apostle Paul, I'm wretched. My heart is for you. I desire to do, to fulfill your uh, commandments your, and, and love you as, as uh, you love me. I want to obey you. I want to submit to you. I want to love my neighbor as myself, but I'm going to fall short. I realize I'm falling short, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my part. Just put you first and put my brothers and sisters even ahead of me. I'm going to try, and where I'll fail, I ask that you would forgive me. And that's what we have to do. So lawlessness will increase because, God, you know, people's love will grow cold because of that, because people are not keeping the commandments that demonstrate love. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So, we're seeing that we're going to have to endure until the end. That means that there will be Christians who will be, have to endure this great tribulation and the last year of it, which is also the day of the Lord taking place until the very end. And then they will be saved. I mean, think about it. When Christ comes after the great tribulation and after the year-long day of the Lord at the end of it, uh, the clouds will part. The trumpet will sound to announce the, the coming king, uh, the shout of the bridegroom coming for his bride. And we see what happens. The dead in Christ, those who are asleep, those who are partakers of the new covenant, they will rise and meet Jesus in the air. We find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We find it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They will rise and meet Jesus in the air. 
and then they will come down with him later, as we see in Zechariah chapter 14, on the Mount of Olives, and we will rule this earth with a rod of iron, all the nations. But the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive. Now, that would mean that those who are protected in a place of safety, who are already accounted worthy, they'll be changed. And those who are just enduring and have survived and not been killed, they will be changed with a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and they will rise up and meet Jesus in the air. So Jesus comes with his mighty angels, and then we are changed into the likeness and the glory of the Lord himself, and we meet him in the air. And then we come down to this earth, and then we take the earth. We take the kingdoms of this earth by force. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, and I believe this is an image as we see in, in uh, 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 Revelation chapter 13, an image of the beast. Uh, this happened uh, about 160, 70 years before Christ as a type when Antiochus Epiphanes uh, came through the Holy Land, went into the temple and erected a statue of Zeus in the temple. And it defiled the temple. It was standing in the holy place where it had no right to stand. So I think this is what's going to happen uh, once again, that the Antichrist, of course, is going to come out of Europe, but he's going to rule from Jerusalem. He will rule the United States of Europe, the European Commonwealth of Nations, a, 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 a resurrection of the Roman Empire, because there's four great beasts that's identified as arising upon the earth that play in this prophetic end time accounts. And that is Babylon, which was Nebuchadnezzar and his empire, the Medo-Persian empire under Darius the Great and Cyrus, and uh, Greece under Alexander the Great, and then of course Rome under Caesar. And then the fourth beast, which was Rome, would be resurrected through time. And so the fourth beast will be in power when Christ returns. So he says, when you see this image, this abomination of desolation in the temple, in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And whoever is on the housetop, don't go down to get the things out that are in your house. And if you're in the field, don't go back to get your cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And then pray that your flight would not be in the winter or on a Sabbath day. For then there will be a great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. This is a time like no other time in history. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
Now, for the sake of the elect, that's because some of the elect will be going through part of that time. They will be persecuted and martyred and being hunted down during that time. So God is going to cut that time short because of the elect of God. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. And let's remember that. They'll show great signs and wonders. Perhaps they're lying signs and wonders, but they will appear to be real. And why? So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now, Revelation chapter 13 speaks of two beasts. The first one being the ruler, Antichrist, ruler over the the uh, the, U EQ, the uh, European Commonwealth of Nations, and then another religious leader, another beast, a second beast would come out of the earth, a religious leader, a false prophet, who will bring fire down from heaven and will cause the whole world to worship the first beast. So he will say this end time beast, this, this Antichrist is Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, Jesus said in verse 25, Behold, I've told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So Jesus is, I mean, every eye will see him coming. Every eye will see the clouds part. Every ear will hear the trumpet sound. Every ear will hear the shout of the great angel, the arrival of Jesus. And every eye will see him. So it's not going to be a secret thing. Oh, he's come. He's over here. Or he's, you know, he's already come. No, everyone will know when that happens. Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation, of those days the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of, of the sky with power in great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So that tells us that somewhere there's going to be a group of people counted worthy in the place of safety. They will have been protected during the entire three and a half years. But there will be Christians that were not accounted worthy, but have made themselves clean, during, showed themselves to be faithful during the tribulation. And then there will be many who will have come to Christ through their witness during the great tribulation. So they will cover the four corners of the earth and the angels will gather them. Verse 32, Jesus said, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass till all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So it's going to take people by surprise. I mean, even after Noah entered the ark, there were scoffers, there were mockers. You know, even when it began to rain, how long does it have to rain, and, you know, for the earth to, to be covered with water so that the ark would be lifted up? It's true that the fountains of the deep, the underwater streams and rivers also burst, some of them uh, shooting up as, as many as 27 as high as 27 miles in the sky with such force. But it still wasn't immediate. It took a while. Then it says, verse 40, then there will be two men in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. And I believe this is talking about uh, accounted worthy to enter into the place of safety. Therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Now, why did Jesus say that? I mean, think about that for a moment. Uh, he's saying you don't want your house to be broken into. So if you know when the thief is coming, and who is the thief? The thief is the devil. And what's he coming to steal? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal away your salvation. He wants you to be destroyed. So he says you need to know that there's a thief coming that a great deception is coming, a great time of trouble that's going to test your faith. It's on the horizon. It will surely come. And it's like a time like no other time in history. As Jesus said earlier in this chapter, if those days had not been cut short, no flesh would have survived. None. So verse 43 again. Or 42, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? And that's what I'm trying to do to my household, the household of God, to my congregation and those who watch to give you food at the proper time. And I believe this is the proper time for this message. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to 
to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I'm not going to read uh, chapter 25, but chapter 25 goes on to say, be ready. It gives a parable of the ten versions. Five of them were ready and five of them were not. The parable of the talents. So Jesus is just telling us to be ready. Now let's go over to Revelation chapter 6. I want to read some of the things that the Bible says will take place during this great tribulation and the wrath of God on the final year of recompense when God himself will pour out his wrath. Here in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, notice, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, As with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So this, of course, is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth and that men would slay one another and a great sword was given to him. So the white horse, the first rider, of course, is false religion. It is deception, going forth, conquering, and to conquer, to deceive. It is followed by the red horse. Deception is already Laid. The foundation is there. The second horse is a red horse. It is the horse of war, bringing war upon this earth. You know, we can think in a in a in a normal time. Uh, I mean, we've had horrific wars. World War II. I mean, was horrific. We've had horrific wars uh, before, since all the beginning of man. There's been war, but we've had horrific wars. But oftentimes, you know, countries did not go to war with one another because they knew the terrible cost. Uh, you know, they knew that even if they won, that there would be a terrible cost, that they would lose many, many, many people, and they may lose the war. So they had to count the cost. But when this happens, there will be deception first, and the red horse will take peace from the earth. Men will be compelled to go to war like no other time in history because something they do not see is taking place. There is a red horse whose rider has the power to stir them to war. So the white horse, deception, the red horse, war. 
Then he broke the third seal, and I heard the, the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard something like the voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do, do not damage the oil and the wine. So obviously, this is famine. And during times where there's plenty, things may be cheap. Food is cheaper. But times when um, it is sparse, of course, it costs a lot more money. <clears throat> so you have false religion. You have deception. And then you have war. And now you have famine. And, of course, war causes famine. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, verse 7, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, behold, an ashen or a pale horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. That is the grave. Death and the grave was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. So, Authority by God is given to these four horsemen, to these riders, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, in order to destroy and kill one-fourth of mankind. That's two billion people will be killed as a result of these four riders. So he says, and I looked, verse 8, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them, that's the four horsemen of the apocalypse, over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, that's plagues, that's like what's happening with the COVID-19, only there'll be many, many more um, severe Plagues that happen, and by wild beasts on the earth. So how will they die? The sword, that's through war. Through famine, that's through starvation. Through pestilence, that's through sicknesses. And by wild beasts of the earth. You know, when you think about it, when there's war, I mean, when, you know, the, the balance of nature is very delicate. And the wild beasts have to eat. I, I, in New York, uh, rats have been spotted in places that are not normally seen uh, because a lot of rats get their, their food from fast food or restaurants, and restaurants have been closed. And so there's no food there. So rats are, have been eating each other. They've been cannibalizing each other in New York because some of them that uh, the places where they normally, their whole families of rats for generations have raised uh, by a particular restaurant or two. And those restaurants have been out, out of business for two week, for two months. They have nothing. There's no, there's no waste there. There's no food being set out. There's no scraps being put out in the garbage. And those rats have to go somewhere else. And they are starving and because they're starving, they're turning on each other. 
Well, maybe a rat's not big enough to turn on a human being. But you know, dogs are. Wild animals, there's many wild animals that are. And that will take place once they face starvation. Even in Africa, a lot of, you know, lions don't normally prey on people. And if a person is attacked and killed by an a African lion, it's generally suspected that the lion is an older lion that's not able to hunt game anymore. And a human being is easy prey. human being can't outrun a lion, can't fight a lion off. So war will kill. Who In, in this scenario, two billion people will be killed by war, by famine, by sickness, and by wild animals. And this is going to happen probably in the lifetime of many of you who are watching, maybe in my lifetime. Verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Why? Because of the word of God. Now, here we find martyrs. You know, in addition to this, I would assume this is in addition to, to this. And we don't know how many of these martyrs there are. So we probably have two billion that are involved in the nations and, it's, and these conflicts. And then those Christians who are not involved in that, but who are martyred. Then the Lamb broke the fifth seal, and I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, I want to just say here, as a pastor and as a minister of Jesus Christ, we want to, we're instructed to cooperate with governing authorities. And we will cooperate with governing authorities as long as it's reasonable and they're not asking us to do something that God tells not to do, something that God tells us to do, or asking us to do something God tells us not to do. Now, if I believed that we were in the Great Tribulation right now and I... Our government was saying, don't assemble for services, don't come together, don't go out and preach to God, you know, don't have large groups out here uh, and stay away from people. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it at all. Uh, we would all be in here uh, having services and we would be all out there. We'd be holding tent crusades and if we were rounded up and, and uh, arrested, well, that's just the way it would be because I would understand that we were in this time of period and we have to do our part. But I don't believe we're there. We're probably at the beginning of birth pains. And so we will work with our government. We will be reasonable with our government. But we're not going to just say okay to our government if they, says, if they tell us, hey, you can't have services and you can't go out here and have tent meetings and you can't go out here and hand out tracts to people. We'll just simply be in jail together. If that happens. Verse 11. And there was given to each of them a white robe 
And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So these are additional people, additional to the one-fourth of all mankind, which is about, at this time, two billion people. Now, if the world goes on, I mean, our, our population is expected, you know, within the next uh, 20 or 30 years to be 12 billion people on the earth. So the numbers would change. The percentages would be the same, but the numbers would change. Right now, one-fourth of humanity is 2 billion people. But, you know, if there were 12 billion, like uh, it's... Uh, they believe will be in 20 or 30 years, well, that would be 3 billion, you see. But the percentage is the same. Now, verse 12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree cast its unripe figs was sh shaken by a great wind. So these are great signs in the heavens. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now think about this. This is, this is an end-time event. I mean, this is like what's happening now with, with a global event. I mean, it's taking place everywhere. Every mountain, every island was moved out of their places. Now, what happens, when, you know, when every island is moved and every mountain is moved? I mean, there's probably people dying. It doesn't tell us. doesn't tell us how many people died. It just tells us that took place. But you can't have earthquakes and islands moving without people dying. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? So now let's go to chapter 9, verse 1. And these are the trumpets. Then the fifth trumpet sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottom, bottomless pit was given to him. So this star is an angel. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts from the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. But they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only men who do not have the seal of God on their forehands. This is a time when people will either have the mark of the beast, or they'll have the seal of God, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you notice that these locusts are not like what's happening now in Kenya, where great swarms of locusts are coming and eating the vegetation, uh, you know, like they haven't seen for many years. Just the sky is black with locusts. 
in some areas. And they just eat every green thing. But these are not that way. These appear, John is trying to describe what it looks like to him. He's seeing something that looks like locusts. Locusts fly. They are in the air. Uh, but they have the power like a scorpion. In other words, they torment. They are able to, to torment men, to sting like a scorpion. Maybe this is uh, something like military. Maybe these are some types of, of like what, I mean, you know, 10 years ago we wouldn't even thought about what this could possibly be. But now um, we have these uh, small um, drones that, you know, that, that fly, that even deliver packages. And now some of them have been, uh, some people have been working to militarize them to where they can, I mean, just little drones like this, there could be thousands of them that just swarm right up and have the power to, maybe they don't want to kill people, maybe they just want to torment people, maybe they want to put people in line, maybe there'll be people that will be protesting, maybe there'll be people who are starving and they will be out trying to find food and they're trying to keep them uh, under control, the ruling government. Uh, you know, trying to keep them under control. And maybe they send out these drones that have shock treatment that maybe are, 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 are that sting. Maybe they shoot a non-lethal uh, weapon, a rubber bullet or something else. They sting like a scorpion. Now notice it describes them. And when they, but they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So it's something that will has the power to uh, to torment men, and in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. Now notice verse seven: the appearance of these locusts was like horses prepared for battle. That means they're just in battle; they're in battle array, but they're flying. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces was like the faces of men. Perhaps they had projected, you know, an image of a person. Maybe there is a, uh, you know, a screen where an authority is talking to them, telling people what to do. And if they don't do it, then they, they uh, sting them or they shoot a rubber bullet or whatever it happens to be, whatever weapon they have, shock treatment, whatever. And they had hair like the hair of women and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings were like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. So you can kind of hear like helicopters like that. We don't have to know what it is. We just know what it is, Amen. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. And the name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the six angels sounded, and I heard a voice from forth horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So we find that right now there are four great demonic angels that are bound 
in the Euphrates River. Now, there's something about water and demons. I don't really understand, but it, it appears that somehow demons uh, don't like water because, you know, Jesus said when you cast a demon out of a person, that demon seeks dry places and then it will come back. We find that when the demons were cast into the swine, they perished in the water. It was like the demons wanted to be released. I don't know. But there's something about that. So these four demons, they are uh, in the great river Euphrates. Now notice verse 15. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year... So they've been prepared for this special time to be released upon mankind. They were released so that they would kill one-third of mankind. Now, we already saw that the four horsemen killed one-fourth of mankind. That's two billion people. If that were to happen in our lifetime today, that is one-fourth. That's two billion people. It's one-fourth of eight billion the 8 billion population of the earth today. So when it says here that these four angels that are trapped in the Euphrates, when they are released, they're given the authority and the power to kill one-third of those who are left. Six, six um, billion are left, so that's another two billion. One-third of six billion is two billion. So now you have the these four angels killing two billion people, and you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse killing two billion people. So half of the world's population now, at this point, is dead. And if we factor in the martyrs of Christ, it's a little bit more than that. But we, we're not given a number. Verse 15 again, And the four angels who had been prepared for the day and hour and month and year. So there is a specific day, a specific day of the week, a specific month, and a specific year that is already prophesied. It's already appointed for this to happen. We don't know when that is. We just know the general time. But they will be released so that they would kill one-third of mankind. That's two billion people. So now, half of the world's population, a little more than half, has perished. The number of, you know, when that happens, governments can't even operate normally. I mean, you're going to have martial law because there's not going to be jobs. I mean, and plus you've got all these earthquakes. You all have these natural, natural disasters happening. You have famines happening you have pestilence happening. The world will be in total chaos at this point. And so there will be people who are in power, particularly the Antichrist and his allies that will be in power. Uh, they will, of course, protect themselves and they will oppress the entire world, even their own people. And that's probably what those locusts, those probably drones or whatever they come out, that's probably what... That's probably riot control and control of people. Uh, you know, they're using drones now. Did you know that? They're using drones now because of the COVID-19. I mean, to surveil, do surveillance on people. 
And there's been certain Democratic governors who have been wanting to track people. If you've been in contact with anyone who has been, has been affected, they want your information, they'll track you. You carry your phone, they know where you are at all times. Now, this is really, we're, we're getting into the, the area of Big Brother, Orwellian, you know. Now, they kill one-third of mankind, and they have an army. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. 200 million. 200 million soldiers. That's unbelievable. There's not a country uh, except China possibly could man an army of uh, present an army of 200 million. I mean, America, we have 300 million people in America, men, women, and children. But this will be a federation, of course. And of this, and this is how I saw in the vision, the horses and those who sat on them, the riders had breastplates, the color of fire, brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire, smoke, and brimstone. It's interesting because, you know, the two witnesses in Jerusalem are going to destroy their enemies with fire from their mouth. The Lord is going to go forth, as we see in Joel chapter 2, with a holy consuming fire before that will consume the adversaries. But the devil uses fire too. He uses an unholy fire. And once we have to distinguish between what is holy and what is not and make sure that we do not allow our holy fire to be corrupted because that's what the devil will want to do. And this is how I saw in the vision of the horses. And then verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, smoke, and brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails. For the tails are like serpents and they have heads. And with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Isn't that something? They did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons. And the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So the word is going forth, but they don't repent. Now let's go to chapter 16. Verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So this is the day of the Lord, a year-long day of the Lord of recompense. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. So they have a malignant sore that will came upon them. These are those who worship the beast, and those who have the mark of the beast. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood 
like that of every of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are, who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you, uh, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Verse 8, The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. It's like a solar flare. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven. They didn't turn to God. They blasphemed God because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth, so great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. And the great city, and that great city is Jerusalem, who split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God. If you see in the next chapter, chapter 17 and 18, which we will not read, Jerusalem is called Babylon. Because Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be unfaithful. Jerusalem uh, rejected the true Messiah. Jerusalem will accept the false Messiah. He will rule from a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. So they will play the harlot once again with a false Messiah. Now, you might say, well, why would God call Jerusalem Babylon? Well, same reason that in chapter 11... He calls Jerusalem, uh, Sodom, and Egypt, where the two witnesses are. And he says, Sodom and Egypt, 
where the two witnesses are, is the same place where the Lord was slain in the great city. So in chapter 11 of Revelation, Jerusalem is called the great city and is called mystically Sodom and Egypt. Now we know it's Jerusalem, but she's acting unfaithful. She's acting like the land of sin. She's acting like Egypt. She's acting immoral like Sodom. And so when we get to chapter 11 and chapter 18, we find that the great whore that rides the beast, and a lot of people say it's the church. The, the Bible doesn't say it's the church, the false church. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the great whore, the woman you saw riding the beast, is a city, the great city. And it goes on to say, and that the seven hills are not literal hills, but the seven hills that you saw that she was sitting on over, that the beast was over, are seven kings. That's what it says in chapter 17 of Revelation. So those are not literal hills showing a location, but even if it were, Jerusalem also sits on seven hills. So just like Rome does. And then it calls her the great city, and then said the great, the woman you saw is the great city, and the seven hills she sits upon, riding the beast, are seven kings. And the great city that you saw is the woman is a great city called Babylon. And then judgment comes upon her. And here's a key thing. When you look at the end of chapter 18 of Revelation, you see that when the city burns and is destroyed during this tribulation, during the wrath of God, when the city burns and is destroyed, it says what is found in her is the blood of all the righteous ever shed on the earth. Now, put that with what we just read earlier at the end of chapter 23 of Matthew. It said the blood to you, Jerusalem, and your leaders, you are responsible for all the righteous blood ever shed from righteous Abel all the way to the last martyr in the tribulation. Now that can't be two places. And if, it's, if Jesus says it's Jerusalem, then Babylon the Great of chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation is also Jerusalem. Just as Sodom and Egypt in chapter 11 is the great city, Jerusalem, where the Lord was slain. Remember, it was in Jerusalem. It was the inhabitants of Jerusalem that cried out, crucify him. It was Jerusalem. Jesus came to his own. His own received him not and cried out for him to be crucified. Judgment is coming. And Jesus said, behold, I leave your house to be desolate. Yes, they're going to be rebuild a temple. They're going to rebuild a temple and the Antichrist is going to sit in it. We find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he will speak out against God, proclaim to be God, and he will take his seat in the temple of God. That's not talking about the church temple, church being a temple. This is talking about a literal temple that will deceive the Jews. The Jews will see, uh, you know, a false prophet call fire down from heaven. Where will that fire come to? Probably the altar of God at the temple, rebuilt temple of God on the temple mount in Jerusalem. And then the sacrifices will begin. Now to, 
uh, every, all Jews know that they can't start the fire, that the fire has to come from the altar of God. So if a man comes along and he calls fire down from heaven to the altar of God in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and then says, see this man pointing at the Antichrist? This is the true Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And it says in Revelation chapter 13, the whole world will worship him and worship the dragon because the false prophet will have deceived the entire world by his great signs and wonders and cause everyone to worship the first beast. <clears throat> Verse 18, And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. And the great city, Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island, think about it, every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Now think about this. The mountains will lay low. This great earthquake will cause all the mountains to be leveled. They'll just sink into the ground. All the, the islands that are rising up, peaks that are rising up in the ocean, will be gone. The Bible doesn't tell us how many people have died. I mean, we have many islands. Look, Hawaii is a series of islands. Uh, you know, Malta, Creek, they're all islands. There are many islands that, could, that will just disappear underneath the sea. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many people die, but there will be people dying. If you have, every, if you have an earthquake that's like no other earthquake, an earthquake that is global, and you know, it, it shouldn't surprise us so much. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is infantry. Infantry, which means you, you know, it, everything eventually comes to disorder. It eventually, you know, regresses and uh, to where it is no longer functioning. It becomes unpredictable, actually. So every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Now notice verse 21. Look at this. So we have an earthquake that flattens all the mountains in the world and sinks all the islands in the world. And on top of that, huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men and men still blaspheme God because of the plague and the hail and because its plague was extremely severe. We are just in the beginning of birth pains. But the great tribulation is surely coming. Now let's go over to chapter 19. Now we, all, we saw that there's a 200-man army, a 200-million-man army. And it's gathered there to fight the king. It's gathered there when Jesus comes back and 
the dead with his angels and the dead in Christ rise and then those who are alive changed and with a twinkling of an eye into his glory, into his power and meet him in the air and then we come down. An army like the world has never seen. And we go through this earth and we take the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus, we will come down and his feet will hit the Mount of Olives and it says the mountain will, which is just a hill, will cleave in two. So if there's any tiny, maybe there's some hills and the mountains are gone, but the Mount of Olives will still be there. And Jesus' feet will touch that, we'll be with him, the angels will be with him. And right outside of that, in the great vast valley, the valley of Ben-Hinnon, Armageddon, will be a 200 million army waiting. Verse 17. Now here in, in chapter 19, we see that verse 11, that Heaven opens up, that Jesus comes back, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven are clothed in fine linen, and white and clean were following him on white horses. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath. Of God Almighty. Verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Verse 20, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And then we see what happens next that I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. That's the saints of God. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Christ and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand and they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And we know the story. After the thousand years, Satan will be loose for a little season. He will stir up the nations again to war. They will be destroyed. Then this entire earth will be destroyed. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. God the Father will come. Our holy city, the golden city, will come down, and that will be our home forever. Now, we want to finish over in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter's admonition to us at this living, at this time. Again, Let us understand that World War I killed 17 million people. World War II killed 73 million people. And most of those were civilians. The Great Tribulation, we don't know exactly, but it will kill somewhere between 6 and 7 billion people. Uh, there will likely only be about a billion people or a little over that left when Christ returns. Uh, it will be a time like no other time in history. The oceans, all every living thing in all the oceans and all the rivers and all the lakes will be dead. I, I didn't read it today, but it talked about, uh, you know, what appears to be asteroids that will hit the earth and will poison our water supply. There's so many things that are going to happen. We don't have time to read all that today. I wanted to really concentrate on how many people uh, this is going to kill, and we find that it will kill between six and seven billion people. And again, remember, if you were to try to count to seven billion, it would take you 200 years to do so. If you were to line up seven billion dominoes around the world, it would go around the world twice, about 60,000 miles or more. That's the staggering Numbers. Now here in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 3. We'll close with this. Verse 3, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking and following after their own lust. Now there's no doubt that people will watch this video. Some may be watching now and they will mock about it. Maybe they'll see it after it's uploaded on YouTube later, and they'll, they'll mock. Um, all I'm doing is reading. I'm not prophesying anything myself. I'm just reading what John, what Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, what he prophesied himself, and what Jesus prophesied. You know, Revelation is really the book of Jesus. It is the testimony. It is the prophecy of Jesus Christ that he gave to his angel to give to his servant, John, the things which would shortly come to pass. So it is the book of Revelation, even though we call it the Revelation of St. John, it was a revelation given to John by Jesus himself. When in the very first chapter, it says the revelation of Jesus. It is his prophecy. And the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of this prophecy. 
So mockers will come and they'll say this, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this or they hold this thought, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He doesn't wish for any to perish, but to all, for all come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him. Peace by him. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. You hear that? In peace. That means peace with your brothers and sisters with peace with God, spotless and blameless. Music